Wait, 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 wait a minute. Did you know there's a zoom filter to make me look younger? Completely removes all of my wrinkles, takes the gray away, makes my skin look radiant. Makes me look like I'm wearing foundation, cover-up, rouge. It's like Hollywood makeup. Oh, I'm fooling everybody. Oh, they have no clue. Thank you, Zoom. Discovering the Zoom filter that makes you look young, kind of smooths out everything. It's been nice. It's been real nice. Zoom is not only how we communicate with others, it's kind of a mirror. So I get to see myself in this filter and it's great. It's very misleading, but it's great. I'm on Zoom so much. Just like you. Just like you. I'm on Zoom so much. And now I need computer glasses. I need those frames to reduce headaches after the Zoom sessions. Oh, is he going to start with some complaints? No. No, I'm not. Thanks for asking. I'm going to start by telling you about an email I received. It said, Dear Mr. Rosenberg, you have a new student in your seventh period. He's a transfer from an Oakland high school. Please show him a warm welcome. Fine. Happens all the time. So I'm taking roll. That's me going through the names of my attendance sheet. Here, 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 here. I get to this kid and he's exuding a type of energy that's a little different. I get to this new kid on my roster and boom, right at that moment I go, oh, oh, he's smarter than me. I don't know. I don't know how I knew. He just had that energy. You know, we all have energy when people meet us. They're picking up on something. You know, the last episode I did talking about all those shitty people, they give off shitty energy. And you know, funny people, just naturally funny people, they give off that energy. Sweet people, they got sweet energy. Nervous people, they have that nervous energy. (laughs) Well, this kid was just smart, I could tell. Called his name and he's like, present, good to be with you. I was like, okay. And keep going down my roll sheet. And then his Zoom box was a little more clear than the other boxes on the screen. He was in high def while everybody else seemed to be in standard def. There was some glamour. There was some glitz to this kid. And I continue teaching. I continue with the rise of humanism, teaching them about secularism and how the world emerged out of the dark ages after the Black Death Plague, the worst pandemic in the history of the world. So very relevant stuff. And I'm teaching. And in his Zoom screen, I could just tell he's doing something with his hands. And this is a really respectful class. A lot of kind kids, a lot of sharp kids. Nobody seems to be misbehaving yet. I don't know how that is, but I have like an angelic class. Everybody's just kind, smiling. Hello. Hi. How are you? Great. Good. Doing well. And then this kid, I could tell his hands were busy. And then at one point, I can see that there's a deck of cards in his hand. And I'm watching closely and I realize he's doing something with those cards that's a little uncommon. And I had to stop. I just stopped teaching. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for you to see that. And then I said, no, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. And he starts doing this type of shuffling called cardistry. And I said, oh, you're a sleight of hand magician. Not like, oh, you're a student trying to be a sleight of hand magician, but oh, you're an actual sleight of hand magician from Oakland who just transferred into my class. And he smiled. And then he said, I'll put him down. 
I shouldn't be doing that. And I said, actually, we're going to step away from today's curriculum and just let you perform for a moment. Now, all 25 kids' faces go to his Zoom box. And he puts the camera on himself, stands up, and he starts to perform cardistry. Please Google this. Cardistry. The kid is a cardist. He's a world-class cardist. And as I watched him, I was blown away. I actually couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was one of those moments where you just go, I can't believe what I'm seeing, like Cirque du Soleil type shit. You just go, wait, what? These are humans doing that? It happens to us sometimes with the arts. Some performers blow our minds to the point where we go, is this real life? And I looked at all of the other kids' faces, stunned, like eyeballs are popping out of heads, jaws are dropped, watching what he can do with a deck of cards. I mean, he's spinning cards on his fingers. The kid can cut a deck using all 10 fingers, dropping cards from above, behind himself. I can't even explain it. Please just Google it or go to YouTube and check out Cardistry, these competitions. And this kid, like I said, he's world class. He's a true magician who knows how to handle a deck of cards as fluid and as skilled as anybody. I mean, truly. You talk about an art form I didn't really know about. And then I said, okay, okay, you know, I had to calm it down because clearly what's more interesting, Mr. Rosenberg or this kid, the cardist from Oakland? And then I get everybody's attention back. And as class progresses, I'm realizing this kid seems to know everything about what I'm teaching. Like all the other students seem to be learning it for the first time and he just seems to be slow blinking and nodding like, yes, that was an interesting time. I'm like, so during the Renaissance, the Medici family in Florence commissioned a lot of artists to come and he just types to me in the Zoom. It was a wonderful time off the River Arno, wasn't it? I'm like, what? Yeah, I guess. I'm getting into the scientists that challenged the church as they find new proof and evidence studying the planets in the sky. And he'll just write in the chat, boy, was it a glorious time to advance society with these challenges to authority. And I'm like, what? How old is this kid? You talk about ahead of the game. I show a little video clip. He's like perfectly edited. I know the guys. I know the filmmakers. I could have them come into the class if you need. I give them a short answer essay prompt. He's like, that's an interesting prompt, but maybe you could use one of these. I've created a few. It's up to you. It's up to you. I'm like, holy shit. This kid, let us reverse the roles for a day from cardistry to his intellect. And it was the perfect day to meet him. I'm talking about the great Renaissance artists and the humanist movement to reach your full potential. Find your individualistic talents. Find your identity and feel free to express yourself. Focus on the here and now and what you're capable of. And this kid's just like, you know, checking all the boxes. Yes, yes, I've done all that. It turns out I'm very talented. So I like it, but I think I'm going to have to stop teaching about 10 minutes before the end of every class and just let him go. Let him go. The reaction of the other students was the best thing I've seen all year. Just like, holy shit, what are we watching? It's a good Zoom moment, but how much better would that be in a classroom? Huh? Give me the damn vaccine already, won't you now? I'm ready. Yes, I get it. There's people that don't want the vaccine. Hesitant to get the vaccine. Ambivalent. Skeptical. Not me. Give me the fucking vaccine. I trust scientists. I do. Maybe it's weird how unskeptical I am. If there was a vaccine that came out two weeks after the pandemic started, 
I just heard like, there's this underground company in Palo Alto. They have five vaccines, okay? And they haven't really done enough trials, but they think it's probably gonna stop you from catching COVID-19. I'd be like, yeah, put the needle in my shoulder. Let's go. I don't know what it is. I trust needles. Isn't that the slogan of the show? Nope. Okay. Moving on. Well, you know you want to be a cardist now, right? It's like you've seen those videos of bartenders, what they can do with bottles, throwing them up behind their back, landing them on the back of their hand, putting them on your shoulder, rolling it down your back. It's cool, right? I mean, it's unnecessary. You could just pour the drink. But this kid, he's developed a skill that I've never seen before. Never. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's episode 124. We've done 124 of these, and I say we, because you're along for the ride. You're with me. You're my wonderful support system. Dropping those ratings on iTunes if you get a chance. Or not. I always give you the out. Or not. Hey, it's fine. It's fine. I already admitted I don't even know why I say that. I just know to say it. And make sure you drop a rating on iTunes. All right, so the other day I'm driving in our neighborhood, in our beautiful neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? And I saw something that we've all seen. We've all seen it. But I realized it's going to be extinct in about 20 years, maybe 30 years. And it was the sight of an old man in a robe and slippers walking into his driveway to pick up a hard copy newspaper and then walk right in. And it happened while I was at a stop sign. And I looked to my right. There was this nice Eichler and an old man. He kind of looked like Ted Kennedy. He kind of looked like uh, former Cowboys coach Jimmy Johnson, like a Newt Gingrich type. Silver hair, kind of a square face, like a Dan Loria face. Who's Dan Loria? He's the dad from Wonder Years, okay? What do you mean, who's Dan Loria? You've seen him. He's in a bunch of stuff. And every time he pops up, you're like, wait, where do I know him? He's the dad from Wonder Years. That's Dan Loria. His photo's up at DZ Aikens. Great Jewish deli in San Diego. But hey, I have to digress. I'm at the stop sign, and I don't know why it hits me. I'm just looking at this guy, this Norman Rockwell moment of old man, charming old man, probably in his 80s, in a red plaid robe, and these like topsider slippers. I really examined him. You know, he had the belt tied very tightly, so please stop asking, did any balls flop out? Let's really not go down that path. No, okay? The belt to the robe was tied very tightly, even when he bent down to pick up the newspaper. Nothing was revealed. Why would you even ask that shit? Please, let me just go on with the story. So, I was thinking, that sight is in its final stages. It's the final phase of old people going to the driveway in their robes to get newspapers. How do I know that? As a teacher, a journalism teacher, I've been asking students for years, raise your hand if you plan to subscribe to a hard copy newspaper when you're an adult. There's never one hand that goes up. What do you mean, pay money for them to drop off news that's been printed on paper? And they would throw that into my home? They would just throw it onto the pavement in front of my home? And when I pick it up, that's how I would receive news? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. So this generation, of course, they're not subscribing to any hard copy newspaper. That's it. Paperboy, you love that nostalgia. Paperboy on a bike, tossing papers. That's almost extinct as well. Newsies, they've been extinct for a while. So the old man who grabs his paper, it didn't just stop there. In my mind, I now have to play out. What's the rest of his day? I have to understand. He goes back in the house. 
Now, if he's married, he probably is not in the mood to hear any more lip. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? He's probably not in the mood to just engage in another conversation. He wants to have a personal day. And now I'm just fantasizing. What happens? You know he has a chair. At that age, in his 80s, this suburban fella, he's got a chair that has such a comfortable divot. I mean, he just has a mold to his butt on that chair that no one else is welcome to sit in. And that chair, you know, kick it up, boom, with that lever, that lazy boy chair. He leans back. He has style when he opens up the front page. Snaps it open, the newspaper. He reads every fucking word. I mean, this guy reads the obituaries. He reads every box score in the sports section. He reads the whole date book so he knows what concerts are coming to town. He knows about every school policy. He knows about every immigration story, science story, political story. This is the most informed guy. Takes him about 54 minutes to read the whole newspaper. What's he sipping on? I think you know. Uban. He doesn't like that Starbucks and Pete's bullshit for the hipsters. Uban. He's the guy that buys the big jar of Uban. At the grocery store. It's the worst coffee I've ever had. But don't tell this guy he's been drinking it since 1932. So guess what? He's a creature of comfort. He's going to keep drinking U-Ban. You think he's putting any flavored cream in there? Fuck you for asking. No. Takes it black. Reads the newspaper. Not in the mood to talk to his wife. Takes it black. And then what? Well, probably a crossword puzzle, right? And then he calls one of his grandkids to have a conversation, like a very on-the-surface, meaningless conversation where nobody learns anything, just asks, How's Ted? Tim's enjoying soccer? Yeah, <laughs> soccer, terrific. And has it been raining out there? Raining, uh-huh. And, oh, does Jill still make that stew I enjoy? Great, so from soccer to the rain to Jill's stew, nothing was really learned, but it's a call he has to make. It's a call the grandkids need to take, and he moves on, conquers the crossword puzzle, checklist, got through the phone call, And now what? Well, you know damn right he has a ragged little dog. Why is it? I'm actually asking a serious question. Why is it that old people, 80s and 90s, have these dogs where you're like, what breed is that? Is that a stuffed animal at the edge of a leash? Is that dog also 80 or 90? What is it? It's like a ball of yarn. And they're yippy. You never just see a guy who's 84 years old with a good-looking Rottweiler, right? You never see a 94-year-old woman just walking a yellow lab, like a five-year-old yellow lab. They're always walking other dogs that just look like mangled sweaters with a few teeth. They're all blind. They're all deaf. These dogs get so many walks because what else are they going to do? So he walks that dog for about three hours, waving at every neighbor. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Hey, good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is cold. Good Good to see you. Friendly guy, right? Introduces himself to everybody. Probably knows a few card tricks. Probably knows a few racist jokes that he still tells. And people go, you can't tell those jokes anymore, Ralph. He goes, okay, okay. He looks like, okay, I'm trying to learn. My grandkids are trying to teach me what I can and can't say. Come on, Ralph. And then what? Then he watches golf for five hours and finally says hello to his wife at about 5.15 p.m. Finally says hello to his wife at about 5.15 p.m. They connect. One person gets to talk for 10 minutes while the other person doesn't listen. Ralph gets to talk for about 10 minutes while she doesn't listen. 
Then they agree to watch a program. You know they don't call it TV shows. They watch a program. What program did they agree to watch? Probably a game show. Definitely nothing on Netflix, Hulu, HBO. No, no, no. Probably like a sitcom. No, one of those Sunday night CBS shows that they advertise during NFL games that no one watches. They probably watch one of those. Like a Sunday night, one hour long drama or action. And they don't really enjoy it, right? They just sit there expressionless for one full hour watching the commercials. They don't have DVR. They sit there during the commercials. If Ralph has to go to the bathroom, no one's pausing anything. He comes back 20 minutes later. He doesn't, he doesn't even say, what did I miss? He just sits back down. You think Ralph gives a shit if he missed anything in that hour-long CBS drama called The Shield or Status General or what would be one of these boring CBS show names? Madam Secretary. That sounds like a real one, right? Or Under Siege. Wait, no, that's a real Steven Seagal movie. Under Siege. Steven Seagal. Then Ralph's asleep by seven. And guess what? The next morning, he does it again. He goes out in that robe. The belt is tied very tight. There's going to be no floppage. Goes to the edge of his driveway, picks up a newspaper, and then some asshole like me sees it and goes on a podcast and talks about what I think happens the rest of the day. But the point is, these people are almost extinct and we need to appreciate them. Okay, there was a point that whole time. There was a point. People ain't going outside to pick up news printed on papers. People aren't even going outside much. I know right now during a pandemic, but don't you think people are just going to become hermits? Like some people are getting too used to this. And now the idea of going to a big public function. I get it. Some people are yearning to get back to concerts and ball games, and performances and movie theaters, and airports. I get it, some people. But there's also a few people that are just like, you know what, I learned something about myself. I can kick it. I can chill at home. I'm good at this. I've talked to a few friends. Introverts, yeah. But to this extent, no. And they've learned, you know, this kind of fits me. I'll interact through the screens. But I wonder, even when it's safe, like truly a couple of years from now, when it's truly safe to return back to any semblance of normalcy, I wonder how many people are like, nah, thanks, I'm good. I'm going to keep zooming. I'm going to keep sheltering. I'm going to keep wearing the mask. Actually, that's a question. How long do we wear the masks? Like two years from now, am I still wearing a mask to Safeway or Trader Joe's? Or if I ever develop the courage to become a Costco member, where then I have to tell other people how great Costco is? I don't know. Here's something I do know, though. There's a special time. Now, if you live alone, it's always that special time. But if you don't live alone, let's say you're married, you have kids, there's a special time where maybe you get a sliver of the morning to yourself. It happens maybe twice a month for me that I'll go on an early dog walk, come home, and my wife and daughter are still asleep. And in that window, the options are endless. Make coffee? Sure. Check email? Of course. And then what? Well, I have a new routine. I have a new routine. Okay, it's as I prepare breakfast, I listen to Aaron Copland, one of the great American composers. I listen to this classical symphonic music from only one guy. I don't know classical that well. I'd like to say I'm kind of a fan, but I don't know much about classical music. I just know what sounds good to my ears. And I also know Aaron Copland's name because the movie He Got Game, which was a Spike Lee joint, Back in the 90s, featuring Denzel and Ray Allen, 
which I loved. He Got Game is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I like Spike Lee. He misses sometimes, but I like Spike Lee a lot. And as I watched He Got Game, I didn't understand why it was so compelling. Like every second of the movie. And that's because I was learning about scores, movie scores, how they can keep you engaged. Even when there's no dialogue, when there's no action, just a good movie score. So I've researched who is Aaron Copeland. And I've even heard his music performed live. It's just beyond beautiful. Like it's so special. It just gets into your soul. So in the morning, house is still asleep. I'm making coffee. I go to Spotify and I just let her rip. Aaron Copeland. Pick any of the songs. Pick any of the pieces. And as I'm making eggs, oatmeal, smoothies, whatever it is, the background to these solitary mornings, it's Copeland. And you cannot hear this music without envisioning the end of a movie or a sentimental part of a movie. I don't even know if he understood how some of his songs would be used. Like when Spike Lee or any director says, we got to use a little Aaron Copeland in this scene. Was that Aaron's intent? Did he know he was writing these incredible pieces, these incredible songs that would just be played in movies and allow me to imagine what scene it is with the narrative going over it? Let me give you a taste. Let me give you a taste of one of the great songs in He Got Game. Keep in mind, this is a basketball movie. So just picture slow motion, Ray Allen playing basketball on the blacktop. His name was Jesus Shuttlesworth in the movie. Come on, Jesus. Jab step. Jab step. And then you got to attack the hoop. You can't just sit there flat-footed. Come on, Jesus. Attack the hoop. And you're wondering, how does this music work for an inner-city basketball movie? Ah, uh, it does. Spike Lee taught us one thing, and that is, it does. All right, let me just go through some more Aaron Copeland movies. And just use your imagination. What part of the movie are you seeing? Is it the end? Is there a voiceover, a narrator who pops up? Let's see, how about this? It's called Down a Country Lane. Oh yeah, beautiful already. Clearly a narrator's voice towards the end of a movie. Old Western settlers. A love story. I knew we would never have another summer like that. Ha! <laughs> Seeing Mary Beth's face in the river that morning. As delightful as a face could be. It'd be tough to leave that town, but I knew we had to. We had to keep going. 
Oh sure, I'd miss the pie. I'd miss the rope swing. But one thing about Mary Beth I wouldn't miss was her halitosis. Could drop a flower to the ground with one solid breath. This movie's about halitosis, folks. You didn't expect that. Aaron Copeland didn't intend for that, but it happened. All right, let's see one more. Just going through the Aaron Copeland catalog. What else do we have? Oh, we've all heard this one, right? Such a Western. I feel like it's been in a Velveeta commercial, too. Let me keep going. So nice. Those strings, it's already nice. It just captures you. Oh, this is credits, right? Credits are rolling after a war movie. Picturing World War One. Yeah. Soldiers writing a letter home. That's how the movie ends, yeah. Soldiers just writing a letter home. And you know this song is guiding you towards the end of the movie. Dear Mom and Dad. Actually, no, just like every war movie, it has to be this voice. Dear Mom and Dad, it has been horrific here in the trenches. My best friend is a rat named Arthur. He smells like shit. I'm coming home. It's been a nightmare of an experience. But I do hope you've collected all of my letters so we could turn it into a memoir that'll be a New York Times bestseller. At night, I fantasize that I'm a bird. Just kidding, I don't. I sleep in a river of blood and guts and piss. There's nothing poetic about this experience, but Aaron Copeland's music is playing underneath me as I write a letter home. Dear mother, dear father, what I have seen the last month will change me. It will change you. It will change the world. I know I'll be coming home soon. And when I do, please understand that I'll be completely shell-shocked and not able to speak to you. I hope you did not throw away my baseball cards. I had a Lou Gehrig rookie. Dad, if you sold that, we're going to have fisticuffs in the front lawn. Mom, how are you? How's the garden? I know it hasn't been easy. And I don't know, should I just keep going with this? Aaron Copeland brings it out of me. So as my wife and daughter are sleeping, I fantasize about the movie's score and narration. Welcome to my weird world. How beautiful is this music, though? Why am I even talking over it? Some of you are thinking, shut up, Josh. You actually started listening to a podcast, and now you're like, shut up. All right, here's a little taste. Dear Cousin Lester. Nope. Okay. I was going to do another letter. Old Lester. Oh, 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 Lester. There's so many bad names out there. Isn't it amazing to know that parents agreed on these names when they looked at a baby? Let's name him Ned. Ned is a real name. 
Look at our new baby. That's Bert. Think of some of the worst names you've ever heard. Those were actually names agreed upon by young parents when they looked at a pure, new, sweet baby. This is our son, Horace. Yikes. Could you imagine if I had a boy one day and just named him Horace? Told my friends. They'd have to pretend it's cool. Oh, Hor- Horace? Am I hearing that right? Oh, um, congrats, man. Horace, huh? Is it like named after a family member? No, my wife and I just thought it was really special. Horace. Oh, Horace. Horace. What are some other really shitty names where you're stunned that anyone was ever named them? Dick. I mean, I know it's from Richard, but still. How did that evolve into Dick? What's the story? What's the origin on that? Richard is a fine name, but Dick? Hey, the name's Dick. Dick Stewart. Pleasure. Wait, you're named Richard, but you're choosing to go by Dick? You're just introducing yourself as Dick? You're a member of society? You're a sane person in society. And your parents named you Richard, and at some point, that evolved into Dick? Yeah, God. Chuck will come out of Charles, and I'm okay with that. Okay? Betsy comes out of Elizabeth, and I'm okay with that. Okay? Bob, Bobby comes out of Robert, and I'm okay with that. Larry comes out of Lawrence. I'm okay with that. But for Dick to come out of Richard, (sighs) I'm not okay with that. You made your point, sir. Next time you get in an argument with your spouse, if you're married, next time you get into an argument with your spouse, after it's their turn to talk and yell at you, Just go quiet for about five seconds and then say, you made your point. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but I think it'll lift the old e-brake on the argument. If you're in an ugly fight with your wife or husband in the next couple of weeks, just try it. Like whatever they're saying won't sound good to you. When you're in a fight, an argument, disagreement, whatever the other person's saying, it's not like you're in the mood to go, huh, well, thank you for sharing. I never thought of it that way. You're in the mood to just disagree, but instead just say, You made your point, Horace. You know what, Betsy? You made your point. And then just stop. And Betsy's going to be like, yeah, what? Confuse them. That's a tactic that is not used enough in fights. Confuse them. If you know you're losing, I've lost my fair share of marital disagreements where you realize, "Uh uh-oh, she's got the upper hand. She's saying smarter things. There's more logic and reason coming out of her mouth. I'm going to lose this. You made your point, Shanee. She go, huh? Say it in a British accent, though. Really confusing. You made your point, Shanae. By the way, why is it that an English accent mispronounces all of the English words? I'm being serious right now. I don't think I have an accent. I don't. I think I speak a language and I try to hit all the letters the way they were taught to me. Like a T is a T. They teach you that, right? When you're young, a T is a T. But an Englishman will say, whatever. Whatever. Like W apostrophe E-V-A, whatever. Do you mean whatever? Is that weird? You ever thought about that? You go to England, they have completely messed up that language. And the language is called English. It's theirs. Who are you fighting with? Fighting with? Yeah, who are you fighting with? Why aren't you saying fighting? There's a T sound. Who are you going to vote for? Who am I going to fight for? Who are you voting for? Oh, you mean Vote. Because O is a O sound. Yeah, I said that. Vite. 
Huh? You can't hear me? No, I can hear you, but it's you can't hear me with a T. Why, Englishman? Why are you mispronouncing this language and making it more difficult for anybody to understand? I'll just say it right now. I like a lot of accents. I really do. I don't like that one. I don't like it. I don't need it. Well, then maybe you should keep your jingoistic ass in America. Maybe. Maybe. All right. It seems weird to end with something serious, but do you know the name Brian Sicknick? If I just say Brian Sicknick, do you know who I'm talking about? He's a cop at the Capitol building who was killed last week on January 6th during the riot at the Capitol. Brian Sicknick. We shouldn't be lumping in this name with the other deaths. This is a cop who served in the New Jersey Air National Guard. One of the five deaths. But as you read his story, you realize you should probably single his name out. I actually don't really know the stories about the other four deaths. But I read his story and I thought to myself, he didn't have to die. There didn't have to be a riot. That was probably kind of a dull job for a cop. The Capitol? That's your jurisdiction? The Capitol? I mean, it's not much action, right? Most people aren't storming in. I'm, I'm just guessing. Not a lot of angry mobs storming in. He was killed in the violence. And I know there's a lot of different stories about what happened. They haven't really even confirmed the exact specific cause of his death. But he did return to the office later. And that's where he collapsed and died. So he didn't die at the Capitol. But I feel like we should remember this guy who didn't need to die. So I'll just read you something from the GoFundMe page to help his family out. It says, Officer Sicknick shared a passion for the outdoors and became a member of the mountain bike unit with Capitol Police, patrolling the grounds daily. His fellow officers remember him as someone they could always count on to be there and also could always bring a smile or laugh to them. There are no words to describe the loss of Officer Brian Sicknick. He will forever be remembered for his bravery and service to our country as a member of the military and a U.S. Capitol Police officer. I want to know more about him. For some reason, that's one of the stories that shouldn't just be swept under the rug. But these rioters were there to kill. I mean, the way the story unfolded, it spiraled out of control. I know I did a podcast about it last week, and I was just, you know, reacting to the news I heard and saw. And then every day it got a little worse. It kept intensifying, and it kept getting uglier. And you realized, oh, these rioters, these angry Trump supporters, they had orchestrated something for a long time to go and kill. How misinformed can you be? These are legislators. That's the legislative branch. These are not the people that lost the election for you, guy. These mobsters, these rioters, they need to understand the judicial branch, the courts. That's where the election was challenged. You want to challenge it. You say it's fraudulent. Stop the steal and all of this. You got to understand there were a lot of challenges in the courts, many courts throughout the case. So I can't understand any of this shit, but if you're going to storm into a place to get upset, and I heard that they were storming into courts, maybe I would have understood that a little bit more, but I still don't understand storming into the Capitol. It was just a formality to count the electoral votes. There was going to be no stopping it. Didn't they know that? Were these people convinced that the election results could have been reversed by storming into the Capitol? It's still baffling to me. I actually can't comprehend the foolishness and just outright misinformation, misplaced anger that was channeled through these people. 
led by the President of the United States, incited by the President of the United States, who was impeached again today. There won't even be a Senate trial until after Biden is inaugurated, so it's a lot of grandstanding right now. I mean, there is an ultimate plan of don't let him run again, and I know some Republicans are trying to jump off the ship. Some Republicans that were fully supporting him and associated with him now after the Capitol riots, they're saying, no thanks, I don't want to be associated with him. Okay, seems like too little too late. But I guess you're an American. You could change your mind. Oh, I used to like him and now I don't like him. Okay, fine. But a lot of people still do. A lot of people still do. And it's just interesting to think about how all of the many networks of message boards or social media sites had people connected. 10 people from Alabama meet up with 10 people from Arizona, meet up with 10 people from North Dakota. And all of a sudden this mob grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And they thought they were staging a real coup. And then people like Brian Sicknick show up to defend the Capitol to do his job, and he loses his life. He didn't need to die. That sounds obvious, right? He didn't need to die. But I think that's the last thing I want to say. Really let that sink in. He went to work that day, and that was the last day of his life. He went to work at the Capitol. There should have been zero deaths that day. All right, I appreciate you tuning in for episode 124, and I do love you for listening. And I am wishing you all good health and happiness. All right, episode 124, it's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>